1977, my parents found out that they were going to have their second kid. And I don't know if you've ever gone through this process, but I mentioned um, Sarah and I, when we first found out we were pregnant, we started talking about names and everything. And so my parents sit down and they talked about, hey, what are we going to name this new baby if, if we have a girl? And I can't remember what they said. What if we have a boy? And they said, we're going to name, if we have a boy, we're going to name him Gabriel. Some of you may know that my dad's name is Angel. My older brother's name is Michael. And so they thought, we'll name him Gabriel. And in case that kind of Bible reference passes you over, in the scriptures, angels are spiritual beings that work on behalf of God. And we're only told the name of two angels in the Bible. One is Michael. He's kind of this warrior angel, if we understand scriptures right, who fights in the spiritual realm on behalf of God. And the second is Gabriel. He's a messenger angel, like he brings the word of the Lord. And so my parents decided, okay, if we have a boy, we're going to name him Gabriel. And for the first three to four days of my life, I was Gabriel, okay? And that's what everyone called me. And then in the last moment, when they were getting ready to sign the birth certificate, my dad came in and said, nope, we're not calling him Gabriel. His name is Aaron. And my mom was like, what? And he's like, don't question it. We're calling him Aaron. And so that's what, that's what they went with. And so I remember being about seven or eight and finding out that in the Hebrew culture, like where the scriptures, the time the scriptures were written in, that names had meaning. So I decided to look up my name. And Aaron means like exalted or honored one, which I think is fitting. No one? Okay. Not going to get a hand clap for that, you guys. But I was pretty pumped about that, right? So I thought, hey, that's a good name. Glad my parents named me that kind of honored or exalted one. Um, and so we're talking in this series about names and specifically that God has a name. And we talked about this last week as we started this series that it kind of struck me that as we read through the Bible, we don't often see the name of God. We see kind of a title or the position like we refer to him as God. Sometimes he's referred to as Lord. But the actual name that God reveals himself to us um, or in scriptures is sometimes absent from our translation of scripture that we have. And so we're spending these few weeks looking at the name of God. We're talking about what the name of God means and what even the name of God shows about our relationship with God or how God sees us and the interaction that we can have with God. And so we're spending these few weeks talking about this idea right here. God has a name. God has a name. And if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to do that, to write some of these things down, because as we talk about the name of God, my prayer is not that you just walk away with some new words that you know in Hebrew or maybe from the Bible or a new idea, but that the idea that God has a name would impact your relationship with God, that you would understand more about who he is and his desire for you and his heart for you as we begin to explore what the name of God is. So we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about it a lot this week, that Yahweh is the name in which he reveals himself to his people. But that's not what we see in scripture a lot. And so in around 580 BC, we talked about this last week, that people stopped using the name Yahweh because they were afraid that they were going to dishonor the name of God or that it wasn't respectful of the name of God. So they started calling him Hashem. And so that was the name in the written language that they would write for the name of God. They'd substitute that in for the name of God, Hashem. And in kind of worship or praise songs in this idea, they would use the name Adonai. We talked last week about how many times he was referred to as Elohim of Elohim. This idea that Yahweh was above all other spiritual beings. 
that he was the creator of all things, even things spiritual, and there was no one else like him. And so the people of God would call him Elohim of Elohim. They'd call him Adonai when they would pray. They would write his name Hashem when they would say stories. And then a little bit later, they started to kind of do this mixture because they didn't want to lose the name of God. So they took a few letters from Yahweh, a few letters from Adonai, and they made this kind of shorthand for the name of God although it didn't end up really being shorter, but they, they kind of used that. And that's where for, for thousands or even hundreds of years, Christians called God by the name Jehovah. If you've ever heard that word, or maybe in worship songs, you've heard the name Jehovah and you were like, what does that mean? It was part of this idea where they took some of Yahweh and took some of Adonai and they did that. And so all throughout Christian history, many times you see the name of Jehovah written down. I remember watching these movies called Indiana Jones. I talked about one last week, and they were around biblical artifacts, this guy named Harrison Ford. And in one of them, he's looking for the cup that Jesus drank out of the night of the Last Supper, like the night that before his crucifixion. And so at the end of the movie, he has to go through these traps. And one of the traps is he has to walk and spell out the name of God. So I won't leave you guys hanging. He actually makes it out of that, okay? So don't worry about that. Don't keep stressing, okay? He, he survives that, but that was their understanding. In the ancient alphabet, Jehovah started with an I. So now that I've thoroughly confused you with Adonai and Hashem and Jehovah and spelled all of these different ways, let's come back to the name of God. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. His name is Yahweh. His name is Yahweh. This is the name that God reveals himself to his people, that we see God speaking of himself. And there's something about this as we begin to reflect on the name of God and what that means and, and what that meant to those people as they first read this. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Now we see the name Yahweh over 6,000 times in the Hebrew Bible. 6,000 times God refers to himself or he's referred to by his people as Yahweh. But it's not only in the Hebrew scriptures. In other ancient texts, people refer to the God of the Israelites, the God of the Hebrew people, as Yahweh. And so that was the name that he was referred to by. And so in Exodus chapter 3, we kind of see this first time where God is introducing himself really in this way to his people. And we pick up this story with a man named Moses. Now, some of you guys may be familiar with Moses, but just in case you're not, or you don't really know this part of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, we're told that the people of God, the Hebrew people, were living in slavery for 400 years under Egypt. So this is under the pharaohs. And they're under this cruel kind of rule, and they're forced into this hard labor. And Pharaoh gets scared, and he's like, the Hebrew people are so many, they're going to revolt and overthrow us, so we're going to kill every baby under two years old. If a new Hebrew baby boy is born, we're going to have him drowned in the Nile. Or we're going to ask whoever the midwife or the doctor is that's delivering that baby to kill that baby right there. Because we don't want the Hebrew children to become so powerful. And so that was part of Moses' story. He was one of those babies that was supposed to be killed. 
And through some miraculous things, you can read this at the beginning of Exodus, he's rescued by Pharaoh's family member. And he grows up in the palace and in the house of Pharaoh. This little baby that was supposed to die is actually royalty and nobility. And at about 40 years old, he commits a crime. He actually takes someone else's life. And even being royalty in the Egyptian palace didn't save him. He has to run away for his life. And he spends the next 40 years till he's about 80 years old being a shepherd in the middle of the desert, just among these nomadic people. He gets married. He has a kid. And one day, while he's about 80 years old, he's out tending the sheep, and he sees this bush that's on fire. Maybe you've heard this crazy story from the Bible. This bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. And so Moses is like, what's going on? It looks like this bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And he goes over to the bush, and Yahweh begins to speak to him from the bush. God begins to speak to him from the bush. And he has this conversation. God says, I've heard the cry of my people. Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt to free my people And he gives Moses this instruction. And this is one of Moses' response. Exodus 3.13, it says this. Moses said to him, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your father, the Elohim of your father sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Yahweh, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the Elohim of your father, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the Elohim of Jacob, has sent me to you. This shall be my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God wants us to use his name. God wants us to use his name. He says, my name is Yahweh, and this is the name that you are to call me from generation to generation forever to forever. You are to refer to me by this name. Now, I want to take a moment, and I want us to reflect on what's going on here. What's the significance of what it is that God is saying to Moses um, to tell the people, to tell the Israelites. Now, when you read this, we read Moses talking with God. Now, remember, Moses grew up not in a Hebrew household, most likely, but in an Egyptian household where there were all of these different kinds of gods. And he's like, when I go back, which Elohim am I supposed to say that sent me? Like, who am I supposed to tell them? Now, we read this where Moses says, what is your name, right? They're going to ask me, what is your name? Now, when you read this in the Hebrew, and... I don't know if any of us can, other than I know John took Hebrew for a little bit. But if you read this in the Hebrew, you would think that that term right there is, let me try this, me shemek. So look at the person next to you and say, me shemek. And if you ever find yourself at an ancient Hebrew party and you need to know someone's name, that's what you say, me shemek. I'm Aaron. Hi, you guys. Okay, that's what you would say. But that's not what Moses says. He says, Mahashemo, which all of us are like, what does that mean? But it was kind of like, what is your name? But this is what it really meant. What is the essence of who you are? Because in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew culture, your name talked about your identity and who you are. And so what Moses was saying is not just what's a name I can give them. Who can I tell them sent me? What he's saying is that when they begin to ask, what kind of God are you? What should my response be? They've been around for 400 years, all these Egyptian gods. Who do I tell them is the essence of who you are? And look at how Yahweh responds. 
He responds with the personal name. He responds with, this is who I am, and this is what you should call me. This is what makes me me. I am a personal God. And as I started to just read this verse over and over this week, and I was thinking, okay, God, what do we see in this passage? Look at how he refers to himself. I am a personal God. I'm the God who walked with Abraham. I'm the God who walked with Isaac. All of those stories that you've handed down about Jacob, I was the spiritual being. I was the Elohim. I was Yahweh who was with them every step of the way when they were going down to Egypt, when they were leaving their father's household, every single step of the way. I am a personal God who is in relation and who desires to be personal and intimate with my people. Now, there are a lot of ways that God could have responded. He could have said, hey, you're going to call me creator because I created everything. You're going to call me master or Lord. Hey, when you refer to me, I need you to refer to me by my title. Okay, that's how I need you to talk about me. But no, he doesn't. He says, call me by my name. Right. Have you ever been around someone that maybe has a certain title and you don't know how to refer to them? But then there's kind of that break in the relationship when they're like, no, no, call me by my first name. Right. And and there's something close. There's something personal about this. I remember growing up and I've mentioned this and my dad was a pastor. So I would be at church, and sometimes I would have to call him Pastor Escamilla because that's what everyone else called him. But then at home, I would call him Dad, right? We had other pastor friends, and I remember being at a dining room table one time, and we're with friends. We had spent the weekend with them. We were hanging out with them. They were close friends, and I went to call this, this pastor by his first name, and at his dining room table, he said, no, no, please call me Pastor Haynes. And I'm like, seriously, man? Like, that feels kind of weird. We're sitting down at the table. But he's like, no, no, that's my professional name. I prefer to be called by that. God could have done that, couldn't he have? Like, you're to call me by a title. You're to recognize my power and my authority over you. He doesn't do any of that. He says, let's make this personal. This is my name. And every time you refer to me, I want you to think of that. I am the God. of. I walked in relationship with your grandfather with your dad, with your grand, you know, like all, this is who I am. I am in relationship with my people. Every time the people of God said Yahweh, it was to trigger in their mind. This is a God who wants a personal relationship with his people. This is who God is. And over and over again, the name of God was meant to be spoken. He's saying that every time that you say this, I want you to think about that. I am a personal, I'm a God of relationship. I desire to be close to my people. As I mentioned, Hebrew names meant something. They were to tell you something about that person, like their origin story, kind of the purpose or the meaning of their life. And so Moses, if you know what his name meant, it meant drawn from the water. Because if you remember the story I told you a moment ago, he was supposed to be drowned in the Nile River But he's not. He is saved and drawn out salvation or deliverance through water. But you fast forward 80 some years into Moses' life, and this story repeats itself, doesn't it? Because he's standing with hundreds of thousands of people behind him in the midst of the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is chasing them, trying to kill them. And Yahweh says, Moses, hold out your staff. And what happens? The Red Sea parts, and it's through the water. 
It's the salvation through the water that Moses brings the Israelites, the people of God, over to the other dry land. And then the waves crash back down and the Egyptian army is stopped. Over and over again, God says, Moses, what I'm doing in your life is I'm saving you in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult times. Then you go to this other guy named Jacob. And his name meant deceiver. Like when he's born, he's a twin, and he grabs hold of his twin brother's ankle, and that's how he comes out of the birth canal, is holding on to his brother. Well, in that culture, to grab someone's ankle meant deceiver, that you were a deceiver. And you look at Jacob's life, he lies and almost destroys his family by lying to his dad and stealing. He lies to his brother Esau and deceives him and steals the birthright. He didn't have a right to have the inheritance, and he stole it. He goes to his uncle's house. He's trying to flee for his life. He lies to Laban, his uncle. Then his uncle tricks him when he's going to marry um, his uncle's daughter. And, and now he's to see everything around Jacob's life is lies. Until he comes to this point and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord is how the Bible describes it. And God looks at him, Yahweh, and he says, your name is no longer deceiver. It's now blessed one. It's Israel. That's who you're going to, he changes his name. Hebrews names meant something. And God is wanting his people to think about every time you say the name Yahweh, this is what you to remember. I want you to remember, I'm a God of relationship. God wants you to use his name. Why is it important in your personal prayer time to say the name of God? Because it's going to help your mind remember he wants a relationship with me. He desires to be close to me. This is not a God that's far off. This is not a God that's distant. This is not a God that's out there somewhere. This is a God who wants to get really close to his people, who desires to walk with you through every season, through every moment of your life. His name is Yahweh, and he is a personal God. God invites us, and he wants us to use his name. But as we go on in this story of Moses, we see something else, and it's that Yahweh his name means something. Yahweh means something. And so if you still have your Bibles, turn them to Exodus chapter 34. And I want you to see this. In Exodus chapter 34, here's what is happening. God brings his people close to him. They come to this mountain to worship God. And as God begins to speak to them, they get scared. And they're like, Moses, we're too afraid to have God talk to us. So can you talk to God? And then just come down here and tell us what he said. And so that's what happens. Moses goes up the mountain. He's having this conversation with God. God's speaking to Moses. And then Moses gets this idea. He's like, God, could I see your face? Like, I know you've been talking to me from this cloud, but could you get really close to me, God? And God's like, Moses, you couldn't handle it. Like, my power and my presence would kill your physical body. Like, you can't stand in my presence and actually be able to, to handle it. So I'll tell you what, I do, what I'll do is there's kind of this small cave or this indention in the side of the mountain. And if you'll go stand there, I'll go put my hand over that cave and I'll walk by. And you can't see the front of me, but you can get a glimpse of me and you're going to see who I am. So Moses is super pumped. He does that. He goes to the mountain. And this is what it says in Exodus 34 verse 6. Look at this. And Yahweh passed in front of Moses. And he proclaims. The Lord, the Lord. What he's saying is Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, I want to pause right here because you're like, why does God keep repeating his name? And here's why. When this is written in the Hebrew language, there's no bold. There's no italicized. You didn't underline things. 
Have you ever accidentally sent a text in all caps? And someone's like, whoa, hey, chill. What's going on there, right? Like, and I do that all the time to Sarah, and then I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm designing something. I didn't mean to send that in all caps. Like, I'm not mad at you. We have a lot of ways to emphasize what we're saying, but in the Hebrew language, you didn't. And so to emphasize something, you would repeat it two or three times. And it was a signal to the reader or to anyone hearing you speak when it said two times, you better stop and pay attention to what is being said. That's what God is doing. He's saying, Yahweh, Yahweh, Moses, what I am about to tell you about myself is so important. I need your attention. You need to pay attention to what I am about to say of who I am. And so that's what he says, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then look at this, the compassionate and gracious Elohim slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So he says, Moses, I'm about to tell you about myself. As you're getting this glimpse of me, I'm going to tell you who I am. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious Elohim. That's who I am. I am slow to anger, and I am abounding in love. Now, can I be honest? In our context, we've heard that so much. It's kind of just a passing thing. Like, sure, God is love, right? That's who he is. We see that. Like, God's all loving. But to these people, if you could somehow get back in the mindset of the people that lived during this time, you may remember last week of how people viewed Elohim, of what they thought of the spiritual beings that were here that we could not see. A matter of fact, there is a story right around the same time period where Moses is on this mountain. It's kind of within this kind of set frame of a warrior king named Agamemnon. And Agamemnon was known as this fierce kind of warrior king. He was conquering. He was from the area of what was ancient Greece. And Agamemnon caused his people to worship the goddess warrior Artemis. And she was known as this vengeful, kind of wrathful goddess who would destroy. And if you could get Artemis on your side, then you could wipe out your enemies. And Agamemnon is on this boat getting ready to go into war. And he's got to get there quickly to fight this battle. But there is no wind. And he starts to panic. Oh, no. The Elohim is mad at me. Artemis is upset. So he looks around, the story goes, and he sees his daughter and he kills her. And he sacrifices her to Artemis because he understood, no, this goddess is mad. She's upset with me. And as soon as that happens, the story goes that wind picks up. He goes on. He fights the battle. He destroys and kills all his enemies. And Artemis was happy with them. Their whole understanding was, God is mad at you. And you got to sacrifice. you got to do something, right? you got to do this. And when Yahweh introduces himself, how does he talk about himself? Not as a judge. Not as if you blow it, I'm just waiting to kind of smash you down, right, and kill you. No, he says, when you think about me, pay attention to this. I am compassionate. That's who I am. Every time you say my name, this is what you remember about me. Compassionate God. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Maybe you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to do this right now. If you have a piece of paper, maybe your phone that you can take out. If you're in the NCC Sermon Notes app, you can see that there. How does God feel about you? Just write that down. How does God feel about you? 
I mean, if we were honest, some of us think like this, like, man, I had a bad week. Maybe there's some sin that you feel embarrassed about, something you're hiding, like, man, God, I didn't really follow you. I didn't listen to you. And so you would write down, I think God's mad at me. I don't think God's happy with me. Or maybe you had a good week. Maybe something awesome happened at work, and that's your thought is, how does God feel about me? Well, he, he's great. Like, God loves me right now. I had some good things happen to me, right? That's how God feels about me. Some of us think like that. We're still thinking in this old ancient mindset. And Elohim says, do you want to know how I feel about you? I am compassionate. That Hebrew word is rahum. It talks about this deep desire. It's kind of like the idea of a parent who longs to be with his kids, whose kids bring joy. And that's what Yahweh is saying. When you think about me, you want to know how I feel about you. It's not that I'm angry with you. It's not that I'm mad at you. I have this deep desire to be close to you, to be near to you. You bring joy to my heart. Have you ever been around a new parent when they have their first kid? Right? And what do they want to do? They want to show you all the pictures and all the videos And you're like, why is it a big deal that they rolled from their back to their stomach, right? But to that parent, that's the greatest thing in the world, right? And when that kid can make one sound, ma, right? You're you're trying to make it sound like mama, but you just keep playing it back and forth, ma, 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 right? So it sounds like that's the greatest thing in the world. Now, parents, I'm not talking about the feelings when your kids are arguing with their sibling or when they won't clean their room. That's a different set of feelings, right? But God is saying, I feel to you like a parent feels towards their kids. I have rahum for you. I have compassion. My desire is to be near you. That's how I feel about you. You guys, we've got it wrong so many of the times when we see God as this angry judge up there with the ledger. Like, you did this, you did this. Oh, yeah, you're going to hell, right? (laughs) That's how so many of us view him. And he's saying, no, I am Yahweh. I am compassionate. I desire to be. That's how I feel towards you. I'm in this mentoring program with a group of guys. And this Friday, I was meeting with my mentor, Dr. Barry Sholee, and we were talking about this. And I said, can I just be honest, Barry? I have this image of God that, yes, he loves me. Of course, he's there for me. But it's more like a task, right? Like God's like, great, Aaron's praying again. Yes, I got to sit here and listen to this, right? Or Aaron's talking to me. I guess I got to pay attention to him. Like for some reason, that's where my mind defaults to. And God has a name. And he said, every time you speak my name, Aaron, this is what I want you to remember. I have rahum for you. Like I have compassion for you. It is not a chore. It's a delight to be in your presence. Like that's what fills my heart with joy is when I can just get close to you, when I can be near with you, when you invite me into your day, when you allow me to walk into work or students into school with you. That is the joy of my day. That's what brings delight. I am Yahweh. I am compassionate. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just a feeling towards God or that God has towards us. But he says this, he says, I am gracious towards you. Have you ever stopped and written down, and you can do this if you're taking notes, how has God treated you? What has God done for you? How has God acted towards you? I don't know if you've thought about that. Have you ever made a list? God, what have you done for me? And just really thought about that? Because this first word, compassionate, is a feeling. But this second word, gracious, is an action. 
And what he's saying is, my name is Yahweh, and I want you to think about what it is that I have done for you. Every time you say my name, I want you to remember what it is that I have done for you. I am gracious. Now, here's what we do. I joke with my kids about this. Maybe some of you guys have nieces or nephews, and they do this. They will come home from school, and they'll be like, Mom or Dad, look at this, man. I got an A on this test. I got an A on this project. Like, they're so happy. Like, they want us to frame it, all, every picture, right? Like, got to be framed. Or on the side of the refrigerator, I got a 98. Look what I did. I studied hard. I got this. But then later in the week, we'll be looking online because we can see all their grades. And I'll be like, I won't name my son or daughter. Okay, here. But I'll say, hey, why do you have a D in this class? Oh, the teacher gave me a D. <laughs> right? Anybody else get that? Right? Man, I don't know how, I don't know what happened, but they just gave me a D, right? Like, they must have been mad at me, they must have been upset with me. Why is it that when something good happens, I did that? I got a promotion, I got a raise. Like, man, I got this to happen, in my, that's so awesome. Oh, God, I guess, made this relative sick. God gave that person the promotion. And he's saying, no, I'm Yahweh. I want you to think of how I've acted graciously towards you. Every time you say my name, I want you to remember what it is that I've done for you. That I am the God who walks through the fire. I am the God who provides the sacrifice when you have no sacrifice to give. I am the God who heals. I am the God who delivers. I am the God who forgives you over and over and over again. I have acted graciously towards you because I am Yahweh. That is who I am. Church, that's what he wants you to remember. His name means something. Yahweh means something. He's saying, I have this deep love, this deep feeling for you, and I have acted graciously towards you. Every time you say my name, remember this about me. Now, let me give you one last picture here in this thought process that we're on, and it's this right here. It's when I read this, when I read this part right here, I get stuck on that last sentence. I don't know if anyone else can be honest and say that they do. But as I was reflecting over this, I was like, wait a minute. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents, the third and fourth generation. And I read that and I think, wait a minute, what's going on here? What are you doing, Yahweh? Like, why would you do that? And I get stuck on that. And once again, because my mindset, I think, yep. I knew it. I was right. You're just a judge. You're waiting to punish us, God. That's what you want to do. And I want you to understand what he is doing here. He's not giving a formula. Some of us think that's how God is, right? That you did something good, and so he wrote your name down. And then he counts. One generation, two generations, three generations. Okay, we got to a 1,000 and now we're done. Somebody else better do something good, so I'll keep loving your family. That's how some of us picture this. Or you messed up, and so he writes your son's name down or your daughter's name down, and then he writes their, you know, your grandkids. And then he's like, okay, we got to three or four. We're good. The formula's done. Like, I'll start being nice to you again. That's how some of us think about God. He's up there with the ledger trying to keep track. God's not giving you a mathematical formula here. Like, okay, I got, got to a thousand and I'm good now. You better figure this out. You better start loving me and doing good stuff. That's not what he's saying. He's drawing a comparison. 
And he's like, when you think about my justice and my righteousness, when you think when you mess up and you rebel, he's like, this is, this is how much that is. But he's like, let me, let me give you a picture of my loving kindness. He's like, this is what I want you to imagine. Every time you think or every time you say my name. He's like, and this is what I do, you guys, is I, I fixate on this right here. And he says, no, I, I, when you say Yahweh, I want you to imagine me pouring, pouring. And when you think you've run out, and when you think you've rebelled enough, and when you think you've been wicked, he's like, my love just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. But I don't think you see it, you guys. And so I imagine him with Moses saying, you may think it's three. You may be focused on that, but he's like, I just keep pouring. And church, he just keeps pouring. And he just keeps pouring. And he just keeps pouring. Every time you say the name of Yahweh, he's like, my loving kindness does not run out towards you. That's who I am. I am Yahweh. I am gracious towards you. I am full of love and compassion towards you. That's the kind of God that I am towards my people. And so he says, I want you to remember this. God has a name, and his name means something. His name means something to us. And so every time you say that, I want you to remember this is a personal God. He's the God who walks in relationship with us. And every time you say the name of Yahweh, I want you to think, I want you to reflect on that name, Yahweh. Lord, you have been gracious and compassionate to me, Lord. You deeply desire to be in relationship with me. And you have done amazing things for me. That's who you are. Every time you say the name of Yahweh, that you will remember his name means something. And I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask if you would take a moment and maybe just bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And you may be in this room. Or maybe you're worshiping with us online. Or maybe you were just scrolling through some videos, but you've... Stop for a moment, and I'm here this morning to remind you that so many of us have the wrong mindset about God. We're still in that old mindset that maybe he's angry, maybe he's full of wrath, maybe he's some judge, and he's like, I don't want you to think about me like that. He's saying, I'm full of compassion. I desire to be in relationship with you. My heart is to be close to you. I love being near to my creation. That's who I am. I'm Yahweh. And maybe you're watching this online or maybe you're in this room and you've had a wrong mindset about God. Or maybe you felt disconnected from him like, yeah, maybe God is mad at me. I've done a lot of wrong stuff. And in Exodus 34 here, he said, no, I'm going to find a way to forgive you. I'm going to find a way for my loving kindness to reach you. That's my heart. That's the kind of God that I am. That's who I am. And if that's you in this room and you would just acknowledge, man, I know that I've sinned. I've messed up. I've not always done what God wants me to do. But man, I want to get to know the kind of God that loves me like that. He wants a relationship with you. You don't have to try to fix yourself. You don't have to try to make yourself perfect. You just have to say, God, I want you to be a part of my life. I acknowledge 
that I've sinned, Lord, and I can't fix myself on my own. I need your help. I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. That's what this prayer is. It's acknowledging, God, I've sinned. I've messed up. And in this prayer, we're going to invite God to be in a relationship with us. So maybe you're here and you're praying this for the first time. And I want to encourage you that as we pray this, as we say this together, that you would honestly ask God to be a part of your life. Or even if you're by yourself, that you would say this out loud. If you're disconnected from God, that these words would remind you that this is a God who wants to be in relationship with you. And as we pray this, you are inviting him into your life to be a part of your life to experience his love and his forgiveness and his goodness. So church, I'm gonna ask that we all pray this together, that you would say these words after me because we don't want anyone praying alone. Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've messed up. But I want a relationship with you. So I invite you into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. Give me a fresh start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and celebrate? The Bible says this, that all of heaven is rejoicing. If even one person prayed that prayer and is saying, God, I want a relationship with you. And if you prayed that, if you meant that, if you're saying I'm disconnected from God, I want you to know that right now in this moment, God is starting a relationship with you and he wants to be close to you. And man, that's a reason to rejoice and to celebrate together. Now I want to lead us in one more prayer this morning. I say this often, but in this next prayer, prayer, um, I'm going to ask that you not just listen to me or to repeat after me. But right where you are at, even if you're by yourself at, alone watching this, or if you're here in this room, if you would take a moment and just have a conversation with God, maybe you'll pause for a second and reflect on that name, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, the personal God who wants to be close to you, who wants to be near to you. And just invite him into your days this week, into the moments, if that means work, if that means school, if it's just around your house, wherever you're at, that you're saying, God, I want you to be a part of my life, God. And I want to see you for who you really are, what you said your name means. So let's pray this morning together, church, and just ask God that we would recognize him for who he is, what his name means, and that that would change the way that we're living our lives God, I say thank you this morning for this reminder that you're not an impersonal God. You're not a God far off in the distance. You're not a God somewhere else. Lord, You are a God that draws close to us and near to us, God, that continually pours out your loving kindness and your compassion and your forgiveness over our life, Lord. And I know we don't always deserve it, but you keep on pouring out over us your love. And so I pray this week, Lord, As we go about our week, Lord, in the morning, God, while we're driving to school or while we're driving to work, when we're walking up and down the halls, when we're sitting in our office, God, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, let us speak out your name, Yahweh, and let us remember that you're not distant, Lord, you're right here in this moment, that you desire to be close to us. And if there's anyone in this room that we need to feel your love, we need to be overwhelmed by that. Remind us what Yahweh means. Remind us what you spoke, God, that you are full of loving kindness and you're full of compassion, God, and you're full of forgiveness, Lord. When we mess up, God, you are truly an amazing and gracious God. 
and we say that we love you, Lord. So God, this week we want to reflect on your name and your goodness, that you are Yahweh, and we pray this in your name. Amen.